Hi, this is John Dante, lead pastor of Evolve Church, and this is the Evolve Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We trust that this week's message is encouraging and full of hope for wherever you are. We've been uh, working through the last three weeks a teaching series that we've simply called New Year's Evolution. And to evolve simply means to develop gradually over time. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what God's doing in our lives. Matter of fact, we read um, in the New Testament, uh, the second half of the Bible, it says that bit by bit, each one of us is being transformed into the image of Jesus. And I, I like to think about my relationship with God and our relationship as a part of His church as a slow and steady build. The day we're perfect is the day we're dead. Seriously. Right? Until then, we, we all have to invite the presence of God, the Spirit of God, the Word of God to, to work in our lives and shape us. And um, The idea of taking thoughts that are wrong, captive, and tearing them down, and then replacing them with true thoughts is actually really necessary discipline if we're, if we're at any point making a decision to follow Jesus. Because there is an enemy, and we've identified him as uh, whatever, whatever you call it, Satan, devil, and the enemy of our soul. We've called him a one-trick pony, right? We've been talking about how he's got just one, one trick up his sleeve. That's it. Since the dawn of brokenness, since the beginning of the fallen world, the enemy's just had one trick up his sleeve. One. He'll whisper in your ear, tell you something that's not true. And then it's on us, whether or not we believe it and own it, or whether we recognize it as being wrong, take it captive, tear it down, replace it with what we know to be uh, noble and beautiful and, and the essence of God's nature and truth. So Romans 12, verse 2 It says, stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. Developing gradually over time. So we've, week one we talked about changing what we think and believe about what it means to be confident in this life to walk in confidence and the purpose of confidence. Week two, we talked about patience and and, and the journey of learning to be patient and why patience is a value and how to change what we think and what we believe about being patient. A new definition for it. Um, Last week, we talked about um, uh, being disciplined. And again, we we took a spin on that. If you were here last week, um, two de- different definitions of, of being disciplined and a- allowing ourselves to be disciplined. Uh, if you were here last week, um, had great feedback on last week's message. But today, I want to talk about changing how we think about being courageous and having courageous faith. And the, the common, most frequent definition of the word courage, to be courageous, is to have this quality of mind or quality of spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, to face danger, to face pain, etc., without fear. And, and a subword, bravery. So to be, cur- to, to be courageous. But what does it mean to have courageous faith? Is courage something that in the moment we're like, can I respond with courage? Do I have courage? Or is courage something that we can learn as an attitude, as something that comes out of our heart, as something that comes out of our spirit? 
You know, if, if you're a parent in the room, I guarantee somewhere in your parenting journey, you've had moments, whoa, trippy. <laughs> like one of those 3D paintings. Um, you've, had, you've had moments in your journey as a parent where you have tried and, and, and worked and labored to infuse a sense of courage into one of your children, right? Uh, point in case. You're, you're startled awake in the middle of the night with a blood-curdling scream coming from a bedroom because one of your children has had some kind of night terror, nightmare, bad dream, and you rush in. And what are some of the words you use in that moment with your child to diminish fear? They're feeling very much afraid, but you would say something like, it's okay, don't be afraid, calm down, mommy's here, daddy's here. We're going to, you know, work through whatever they're feeling in the moment. Do you know what, whatever you're feeling afraid, maybe uh, it's in the context of a work environment. Maybe it's a personal issue. Maybe it's a relationship. Whenever we feel afraid, do you know the heart of God comes rushing in and, and shouts out, don't be afraid. Be, be at peace. Take courage. We're going to work through this. So courage is something that can be taught. You know, I, I remember the first time I was on an airplane with my kids, and uh, one of our children just before takeoff was terrified, right? And in that moment, to speak words to my child, we're not going to die. It's going to be okay. Um, the airplanes take off and land thousands of times every day around the world. It's going to be okay. And so as parents, we speak words of life, and we speak words of hope, and we speak words of, of faith Right? Because when I'm on an airplane with my kid and I say, it's okay, we're not going to crash, do I know that we're not going to crash? What if that's the one stat that day? That, what if that's the plane that goes down? So how can you say that, Jono? Right? Are you lying to your kid? No, I have, I have faith. I believe that this airplane's taking us somewhere and it's going to take us there well. Right? So the words that we speak contain truth and faith. So courage, it's this quality it comes out of our spirit, and it comes out of our mind, both. It comes out of our, our heart connected to God, but also how we think. Courage allows us to face difficulty without fear. It allows us to take action based on what you really believe to be true, even if you get criticized for it. I'm going to say that one again. Courage allows us to take action for what we believe to be right and true, even if we come under criticism for it. Um, your story, if you write anything down, if you're a note taker, write this down. My story of courageous faith is important. My story of courageous faith is vital in the kingdom. I had an opportunity to spend some time with uh, one of my mentors and friends this week, um, Pastor John Burns, and we were talking through our story. And when, when you think of story... What's one of the images that pops into your mind? Anybody? I say story, you say fairy tale. Okay. It's toy story. Does anybody in the room think like book, like storybook? Anybody? <laughs> Work with me, people. Oh, a couple hands at the top. The, the quiet ones in the back. Oh, they're all like, yeah, of course. That's what I was thinking. I think about a book, right? My, my life is a story. It's a book. Um, but actually, your life is a story, it's not a book. It's just one page in that book. Open it up to the very middle, 
tear out that middle page. I was actually going to bring a book. I went through my book collection. I'm like, there's not a book here that I want to tear apart. So I, you're going to have to do with the analogy. But you tear out that middle page, that's your story. Whatever's come before that, also very important. And whatever comes after that, also very important. But if I were to just hand you a page from the middle of the book and say, I love this book. Here, read this. You'd be like, something's missing. Did you know that your story of courageous faith in light of eternity is incredibly important? What's gone on before us in Jesus' church, how people have responded with courageous faith, and what's going to come after us in Jesus' kingdom as people continue to live in courageous faith. And there we are right now in the middle of that. Your story of courageous faith is so important. And I think generationally when I think about courage and faith, I think of my mom and dad when I was seven years old. 35 years ago, my parents, we were involved in a, uh, a local church that was very um, driven by where my parents were born. Okay? So we went to the Dutch Christian Reformed Church when I was growing up because my parents were both born in the Netherlands, and that's the church you go to if you're Dutch. And as a baby, I was baptized as a child because that's what they do in the Dutch Christian Reformed Church. And I'm not here to argue theology or whether that's right or wrong. All I want to say is when I was seven years old and my parents were like in their 30s, early 40s, they had this stirring on the inside to want to get baptized as adults. We actually, as fully functioning human beings, as adults, with everything we think and believe and feel about our relationship with God. We want to get baptized now. I don't remember getting baptized as a baby is what they said, and so we want to get baptized. Do you know what that meant? It meant we had to leave the church that we were a part of. It meant we had to forsake the family and the community that had always been ours. And I remember as the youngest child of four, our parents leading us in this courageous step of faith to do something that was they were criticized for. They were excommunicated for. There was family relationships, friend relationships that were terminated, cut off, that were just broken for a long period of time. But they did it because they knew that it was what God was inviting them into. My parents, you know, they blazed a trail for us as children. And, and then fast forward, and, and I, I was able to meet this amazing, fabulous, brilliantly gorgeous woman named Nicole one day. And uh, we fell madly in love uh, we're still working on our first marriage 18 years in, and uh, hard at work. It's good. Um, but, you know, I remember hearing um, about her parents, uh, my mom and dad, Dave and Cindy, and, and the courageous faith that, that required them 21 years ago to pack up their family from the city of Edmonton and actually move to Winnipeg because they were invited into a story there that they, just, they were being drawn to as a part of Jesus' kingdom and the sacrifice and the work and, and the relationships that they, they walked away from to pursue a call, to pursue a courageous step of faith. But that story 21 years ago has shaped our story as God's called us from Winnipeg to move back here. Full circle, do you know that if they hadn't taken, if my parents hadn't have taken their step of faith 35 years ago, I'm not sure I'd be even serving God today. Because most of my high school friends from that community, ethnically influenced, aren't plugged in serving Jesus. I don't even know where I'd be if my parents hadn't have taken that step. And I don't know where Nicole and I would be. Actually, we, we wouldn't have met if they hadn't have taken their leap of faith and moved to Winnipeg. And we certainly wouldn't be here pastoring a brand new church in the city of Edmonton. But I think of our story and how it's going to impact our children in the future. Your story of courageous faith fits 
in the context of what Jesus has been building through his church and what he wants to continue to do for generations to come. Your story of courageous faith is too, too important. Standing firm in your faith and daily walking out what it means to trust and follow Jesus takes courage. It takes courage. Something in your heart. It's not about not being afraid. Because fear as a feeling comes. And we've all experienced fear. Guarantee it. Positively, 100%. We've all experienced fear in some capacity. You may still feel afraid, but you're not going to bow to that fear. You're going to step forward with courageous faith to trust God, to take Him at His word. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in your faith in spite of feeling afraid. You've probably heard this statement, real real courage is feeling afraid and doing it anyway. Has anybody heard that statement before? Real courage is feeling afraid and doing it anyway. That that statement's been uh, credited to Oprah Winfrey, John Wayne, Donald Trump, Norman Schwarzkopf. Uh, as, I, as I did some research, I'm like, everybody's claims that this is their statement. So uh, as of today, January 27, 2019, write this down. Pastor Jono says that real courage is feeling afraid and doing it anyways. If anybody else can throw their name out, why can't I? Um, choosing courage, listen to this, choosing courage is actually a tangible act of transformation. To choose courageous faith is, is a transformative work on the inside of us. And here's how it works. I think it should be on the screen. I feel afraid. However, I don't let feelings lead me. I choose faith. And faith says this, God is with me. God is for me. His Spirit's leading me. He's not against me. He's gone before and created paths that I can't see with my naked eye. He's in my future. He's spoken a promise, so I'm going to take Him at His word. And so, I choose, despite feeling afraid, to respond to what Jesus is inviting me into with courageous faith. One day, or maybe even today, maybe even this day, you will find yourself in a position or a season of life that was going to require a significant courageous response to stand firm despite what you're going through. When the culture around you is saying, nope, that's impossible. When the voices in your own brain are saying, I told you so, you're not capable. What have you signed up for? When the circumstances themselves are shouting, no, there's no way through this. How will you lean in with courageous faith? Push through those voices. Push through that fear. It's going to take courage. You're going to need to take courage. We'll take it from where? Uh, That's what I want to get into. Taking courage and standing firm, it requires faith. Faith that God's on your side. Faith that God has delivered you and as such will deliver you. He's done it before. He'll do it again. He made the way through Jesus, through Jesus' life, through Jesus' sacrifice. And Jesus created this path for us to walk in. God's done it before. He's already finished it, so He's going to do it again. Faith that God's going to help you. Faith that God is for us. Faith that you're not alone in this fight. All throughout the various books that make up our our Bible today are little pokes and nudges and faith-filled reminders that say something along the lines of, be strong, take heart, have faith, be of good courage, don't fear. 
And you read any story that you loved as a child, and it's going to have nuance of somebody experiencing something tremendously difficult, something incredibly terrifying, and the voice of God, either through a prophet or through a leader or through an angel or through God Himself showing up saying, don't be afraid. Take courage. We're going to get through this. Do you know God's still saying that today? I look at the Apostle Paul. And he wrote all these amazing letters to the church as it was being formed on planet Earth. Letters of coaching, teaching, redirecting. No, this is actually what we stand for. And you know, Paul signed off every letter with these beautiful closing words. And, and usually it would say something like this. We read in 1 Corinthians. Here's one of Paul's classic sign-offs. Remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all that you believe. Be mighty and full of courage. It was an issue then. It's an issue now. After all the coaching, after all the training, after all the teaching, after all the redirects and, and, and pokes and nudges and great coaching moments, Paul would always remind the church, hey, take a hold of your courage. Stand firm in your faith. And that's my reminder to the church today. That's a reminder to each and every one of us. This classic sign-off from Paul is actually a throwback. Uh, most Bible scholars in 1 Corinthians believe that Paul was quoting um, one of David's psalms. The book of Psalms is this amazing book in the Bible, in, in the first half of the Bible. If you're unfamiliar with the, 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 the narrative of the Bible, the book of Psalms is, is like this beautiful poetic song lyric, and most of it was written by David. Anybody in the room heard of David and Goliath? Curious. Show of hands if you've heard of David and Goliath at some point in your story. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you've probably heard about David and Goliath. Well, that David, um, he wrote all these beautiful lyrics, and in Psalm 31, verse 24, David wrote these words, so cheer up. Take courage, all you who love Him. Wait for Him to break through for you, all of you who trust Him. And that's a powerful word for us if we're standing somewhere believing God for something that requires us to respond with courageous, with courageous faith. It's not clear actually what David was working through specifically when he wrote these words. And if you read through Psalm 31 as a whole, it's actually really sad and a little bit depressing. And, and some of the words in that psalm are actually words that Jesus himself quoted when he was hanging on the cross. Um, it's a heavy psalm. And so we're like, man, David was working through something. But if you read David's story, he was always working through something. And that gives me hope. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm, you are not alone, right? I am here. David, like, we just read the stories in the Bible and remember that people worked through garbage as a habit as a routine, and then they modeled how to respond with courageous faith. So one of the stories, I mean, we can read in the books of First and Second Samuel all these stories about David, but when David was a teenager, he was anointed by a prophet to become the next king. There was a king named Saul, and, um, and David was anointed to become the next king, which actually is kind of weird because in kingdoms and in king, queen, like normally the throne is passed down to one of your kids. Right, So to anoint um, a kid, a teenager, who's unrelated to the current king as the next king is a little strange. But the reason that God had that in mind was because the current king was a, a turkey. He, was, he, he just wasn't a nice man. He wasn't a good guy, right? So do you know that it was nearly 15, I just spat, 15 years, 15 years, 15 years, from the time that David was anointed king to the time that he actually wore the throne, like actually wore the crown, 15 years. You're two months into your journey, and you're like, God, where are you, right? 
I've been praying about 15 years. 15. It was in those 15 years that David faced Goliath, that he was banished from the kingdom by the, the king, by Saul, that he hid in the desert, that he lived in fear, running for his life because everywhere he went, Saul was trying to kill him. Forced out of his nation, fighting so many battles, 15 years of courageous faith. His courageous faith was tested. And in that season, God was at work. God was with David. In those 15 years, converting David's life from one of a shepherd to one of a king. This transformative work this total renewal of how David behaved and thought and served God. This courageous faith in that 15-year journey from the sheep pasture to the throne. Wherever you're at, God's at work in your life. God is with you. Don't lose sight of that. Here's the story. I'm going to read this really quick. My CG team up top, good luck. But I actually want to read the whole story. One of the stories of, of when Saul was trying to kill David, okay? It's found in 1 Samuel 24, and uh, here's what it says. When Saul came back after dealing with the Philistines, he was told, hey, David's now in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul took three companies, the best he could find in all Israel. That's an army to track down one dude. And set out in search of David and his men in the region of wild goat rocks. I'm going to put that on my to-do list, my bucket list. I want to go to wild goat rocks. He came to some sheep pens along the road, and there was a cave there, and Saul had to go pee. Actually, it's true. Saul had to relieve himself. So David and his men, they're actually hiding in this cave. They're huddled in the back of the cave. And so David's men whisper to him, can you believe it? This is the day that God was talking about when he said, I'll put your enemy in your hands. You can do whatever you want with him. He's right there. He's vulnerable. His pants are around his ankles. It doesn't get any more vulnerable than that. So quiet as a cat, let's, David creeps up, and he gets up to Saul, and somehow Saul doesn't hear him. Maybe he's really peeing. I don't know. Right? But, but he doesn't hear David. And, and David, instead of killing Saul, he just snicks a little, snaps or cuts or clips, what's the word? I'm, clips a little piece of, of Saul's garment and then retreats back into the cave. Okay, so verse 5, immediately David felt guilty. Listen to that. Immediately David felt guilty. And he said to his men, God forbid that I should have done this to my master, my king, God's anointed, the guy that's trying to kill me, that I should so much as raise a finger against him because he's God's anointed. He's still king. And David held his men in check with these words. And wouldn't let them pounce on Saul. And Saul got up from being vulnerable, left the cave, and continued on down the road in search of David. So verse 8 picks up, says, Then David stood at the mouth of the cave and called after Saul, said, My master, my king. Saul looks back, and David falls to his knees. Look at this posture. And bows in reverence. And he called out, Why do you listen to those who say that David is out to get you? This very day, with your very own eyes, you have seen that just now, in the cave, God put you in my hands. My men wanted me to kill you, but I wouldn't do it. I told them that I won't lift a finger against my master. He's God's anointed. Oh, my father, look at this piece that I cut from your robe. I could have cut you. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Look at the evidence. 
I am not against you. I'm no rebel. I haven't sinned against you. And yet you're hunting me down to kill me. Let's decide which one of us is in the right. God may avenge me, but it is in His hands, not mine. An old proverb says, evil deeds come from evil people. So be assured that my hand won't touch you, Saul. What does the king of Israel think he's doing? Who do you think you're chasing? A dead dog? A flea? God is our judge. He'll decide who's right. Oh, that he would look down right now. Decide right now. And set me free of you. That's some audacity, right? To say that to the king who's got an army and wants to kill you. And when David had finished saying all this, Saul said, can this be the voice of my son, David? Because their relationship was close for a season. Not biological father-son, but intimate father-son. And Saul wept in loud sobs, the Bible says. You're the one in the right, David, not me. You've heaped good on me. I've dumped evil on you. And now you've done it again. Treated me generously. God put me in your hands and you didn't kill me. Why? When a man meets his enemy, does he send him down the road with a blessing? May God give you a bonus of blessings for what you've done for me today. Five thoughts that I want to share, and then we're done. Five thoughts for each one of us to learn from David's life. Paul's words echo to us in the middle of what we're learning, in the middle of how we're allowing God's Spirit and His Word to shape and transform us. Paul's words to the early church were, stay on guard, be alert, stand firm in your faith, take courage. So how do we take courage? Number one, courageous faith requires something to prevent. Courageous faith, first and foremost, rising up on the inside of our spirit and rising up in how we think, it's going to need something to prevent. 1 Samuel 24, we read just now that David was required to prevent his entire posse of men from killing Saul. They were at his back saying, look, dude, this guy's right here. He's, he's super vulnerable. He doesn't even know we're here. You could sneak right over, kill him. We could stay hiding in the cave and no one would be the wiser. But David, what did he do? He prevented the wrong voices from influencing him. He prevented his friends from speaking words that went, went against God's better nature, that went against God's character. He prevented the wrong feelings to lead him down the wrong path. He prevented with courageous faith he prevented the wrong voices, the wrong thoughts, and the wrong feelings from making him do something that was outside of God's will. Number two, courageous faith requires something to pursue. You have to chase after and pursue qualities that will build your integrity, that are going to build your character, that are going to build your courage. How do you pursue a quality? It's not a tangible thing that we can hold on. How do we chase after building our character? How do, we, how do we move forward and pursue a strengthening of our resolve? Well, one way is to find people who model those qualities for you, who model the things that you desire to become, and then spend time with them. But ultimately, spend time in God's Word because it's going to grow the qualities in your life. Even in the middle of Saul trying to kill David, David still chose to have integrity and to use his courageous faith by showing honor to the man that was trying to kill him. Beautiful. What do we do when someone's come against us and we're in a season where uh, maybe we feel like we're under attack in our work environment, we're under attack at home, in our marriage, heaven forbid, or we're under attack um, you know, on a board that we're a part of or some kind of leadership team, or we just feel like we're under attack. How do we respond? And do we always respond um, with, with this pursuit of courageous faith that says you have control over your character? 
you have control over your own integrity. 1 Timothy 6, Paul's writing to a young leader. He says, but you, Timothy, man of God, run for your life from all this. Pursue a righteous life, a life of wonder, a life of faith and love and steadiness and courtesy. Man, if we just learned to pursue courtesy in 2019. Run hard and fast in the faith. Seize the eternal life. The life that you were called into. The life you so fervently embraced in the presence of so many witnesses. Pursue peace with others. Pursue mending of broken relationships. What are you pursuing? As you begin to prevent with courageous faith, what are you pursuing with your courageous faith? Third, courageous faith requires something to perceive. Yeah, you can guess. They're all P words. All right. The, the theme of today's message is P. First saw in the cave, and now all five of these points. Okay? Um, hey, don't, don't shoot the messenger. In uh, verse 14 and 15 of 1 Samuel, they're not going to put this up, but we read, what does the king of Israel think he's doing? Who do you think you're chasing? This, this audacious, bold statement, David says, do you think you're chasing a, a flea, a dead dog? God's our judge. He will decide. God will decide who's right. I perceive in this moment, Saul, you're wrong. I'm in the right, but God's in charge. Okay? In other words, David perceived that God's great plan was actually at work. Fifteen years from the time he was anointed and just stayed submitted, stayed his heart in love with God, worked through these battles. God's God's on my side, right? Saul, you're trying to kill me. I could have taken you out, Lorena Bobbitt style. Um, This could all be over. And and you're still alive, and here's the evidence. God's at work. God's in control. Some, some of you missed that joke. went out over your heads. But um, David perceived that God's great plan was actually at work, despite how he was feeling, despite fearing for his life. You see, David was aware. He perceived the truth that one day he would be king. One day. God promised it. So David lived in that 15-year gap, courageously choosing to stay aware and perceiving what God had promised. The perception of what God had said is what he clung to. James chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. If you listen to the Word and don't live out the message that you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the Word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. You know, we read the Bible and it's a reflection of God's heart and his love for us as a father loves his children. And we read in the Bible the truth of of our own worth and our own value and who Jesus invites us to become. And then we read it and we close it and say, hmm, that was good. And then we walk away. And then we forget who we are. We forget what God said. We forget what He's invited us into. We forget the truth of of the story that we get to be a part of. And so in, in the book of James, James is writing, don't forget Get, get your worth. Get your value. Perceive your worth from God's Word, from, from the Bible, from great teaching, from other men and women who are courageous in their faith. Soak it up. And then when you leave, don't forget it. Hang on to it. Continue that perceiving. Number four, courageous faith requires something to portray. David said, let's decide which one of us is in the right. God may avenge me, but it is in His hands, not mine. You're going to need to portray, as you walk out a life of courageous faith, you're going to need to portray a life that's submitted to the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. 
At every turn, you're going to need to say, God, I know that you've said this, and I trust you. I know that you've said this, and I know that you've got my best at mind. I can't see the end. You know, a year ago, Nicole and I were deciding what it was going to look like for us to leave Winnipeg and move here to plant a brand new church. And all that we knew, and all we had like crystal clear peace, was that God had said, go to Edmonton, in the south side of the city, plant a new church. That's, that's it. That's all we knew. And after a month of prayer and conversation with our, with our pastors and, and the team that we were a part of and submitted to in Winnipeg, it was February 1st that Nicole and I, both full, full-time staff, a part of a great church, our family in Winnipeg, we resigned from our work there. And as a staff, they prayed over us, and we left. We began the process of figuring out how, how do we plant a church. We've, we've been in the trench serving in, as a part of Jesus' church for, for decades. We were at the same local church for 21 years. And we love his church. And what Jesus is building across the nation of Canada through his church is, is glorious and beautiful. And we've got our work cut out for us, but God is in it and God is for us. And so to say goodbye to what we knew, to, to start something that we didn't know, I don't know how to plant a church. It, it was radical. I want to tell you this. March and April of 2018, I hardly slept because I was terrified I was terrified about moving here with my kids and starting over in a city where we don't know that many people. And yet I knew that God was inviting us to do this. So what does that mean? God, God how, who's going to help us? I know that we're not meant to ask a whole bunch of people from Winnipeg to come with us because you'll do that. You're, you're a good father. You'll speak to them. I don't need to. So who's going to help us? Who's going to shape this with us? And so to move here in April... And in May, to start throwing parties just to gather people together to say, hey, nice to meet you. Want to help us plant a church? <laughs> Was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. But I want, I want you to know this. Through that season, we chose to portray what we knew to be true. God, you asked us, and so we're going to do it. Whatever it takes. If it fails, if it succeeded, it doesn't matter. I'm not building Jesus' church. Jesus is building his church. And he invited us into this story. And, and so many of you along the way, through the month of May and June and July and August, right through our launch in September, your story and our stories have collided. And we're beginning to see what God had in his heart for us here in this city. We portray this, the heart of Jesus on his knees before he hung on a cross saying, God, yet not my will, but yours be done. The heart of David that said, you're trying to kill me? I'm uncomfortable with that. And yet, God's in control. What season are you in that requires you with courageous faith to respond in a way that portrays and lives out your unwavering, undying trust that God said it, so I'm moving forward. Courageous faith number five provides something to proclaim. In this journey, of courage and faith, which provides us moments of preventing things and pursuing things and perceiving things and portraying truth. Ultimately, it's going to lead us to some kind of proclamation, some kind of declaration, some kind of verbalizing out loud 
with your own mouth. You know, it's good for you. It's good for your spiritual growth with your own mouth out loud to say words that represent the heart of God because your brain hears your mouth saying those words and goes, wait, it must be true. What are you proclaiming in your courageous journey of faith? David proclaimed in Psalm 31, cheer up, take courage, all you love him. Wait for him to break through because he's going to break through as we trust him. What are you proclaiming? 1 Corinthians 16, 13, loving God, we will remember to stay alert and hold firmly to all that we believe. We will be mighty. We will be full of courage despite the circumstance, despite the diagnosis, despite the relationship that's on a downward spiral. We will continue to press in as we prevent, pursue, perceive, portray, and proclaim the goodness of God. Let, let us change how we think about courage in the context of faith. Let us invite the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out through a total reformation of how we think as God continues to work in our life. Amen? I hope you've gotten some sense of what God wants to do in us as we've looked at renewing our minds, as we've, as we've thought about the area of confidence and patience and discipline and courage, as we've changed and allowed Holy Spirit to transform how we think about these things, a total reformation of how we think. And I pray in Jesus' name that this will empower us to discern God's will as we live beautiful lives, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. Visit EvolveChurch.com for more information. And if you're ever in the Edmonton area, stop by. Thank you.